and welcome back to the Angel Investors Access Show. On this series, we talk to startups, angel investors, VC firms, mentors, coaches, and stakeholders that play a part in the Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem. Proudly brought to you by C2 Angels, helping build a community of like-minded, aspiring angel investors right across Australia and beyond. Have you booked your angel opportunity investment discovery session yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Become an angel investor today and visit c2angels.com. And now let's head to the next episode and join me with our special guest. Well, welcome back everyone to another episode of Angel Investors Access with your host, Brandon Burns from c2angels.com. Now, I'm super excited for today's guest. Not only is he joining me from San Diego County in California in the US, He's also a founder and CEO of Boss Capital Partners, serial entrepreneur, angel investor. He's a Forbes author and a keynote speaker. It's Mr. Greg Shepard. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Mate, not, not competing, but your background is way better than mine. I'm loving what I'm seeing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm humble. I appreciate it. <laughs> now, Greg, one thing we love to do on our show at the head to really paint a picture for our listener who's driving or on the treadmill is to get a deeper understanding of what does a typical day in the life of Greg Shepard look like? So, I mean, I have basically I divide my media into three portions. I have watch, listen, read. So on the read, I do about two articles a month. So I've done 100 articles in 29 publications like Forbes and Entrepreneur and Huffington Post and New York World Report and all that sort of stuff. So I do that about, I do that usually, uh, I work on that. Um, I'm already working on four more books. Um, the first book is supposed to come out next year. So I, so I spent some time on that. And then I do some videos and a bunch of interviews. And then I look at deals. Yep. And so I look at about um, this month, I looked at about 117 deals. Um, and out of those deals, I, I go through them. The first scan is just to kind of go through the deals and look at the quality of the deal to see if it's, you know, I look for stuff that's what I call inch wide and mile deep. Yes. So, you know, deals that are mile deep, it means that there's not a lot of people that are seeing them. They're flying over to the ones that are mile wide and inch deep. Yep. So a lot of my time is spent on subject matter expertise entrepreneurs that are finding something very unusual. Um, so all of the big, you know, prime stuff that everybody looks at, I just ignore and I filter through those and I look for just the weird kind of stuff that it looks like everybody's going to ignore, but it has a lot of potential. Yeah, excellent. Um, that's refreshing to hear because quite often there's a real obsession with uh, scale and super hyper growth and uh, something being able to be big enough. And uh, it's so refreshing to hear from you that, you know, you're talking really more about focusing on something that's specific and making an impact. And that's interesting to hear because, um, you know, most investors we talk to are obsessed with hyper growth. Maybe can yeah. you clarify that for me and talk to me why that's really relevant for you in your process? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I've done every business that I've either built or invested in has exited. So I have a 100% track record which is really good considering most people have a 20% track record. So um, the trick I think is first, you can bet on the horse or the jockey and the horse is the business and the jockey is the entrepreneur, but you have to understand that the jockey has never ridden a horse before. So you have this business that's this fantastic horse out there ready to run. 
and you got a jockey who's never jumped on a horse who's going to jump on and they're going to fall off. So you have to be willing just to provide some help for that jockey to get through their day to day and learn how to be an entrepreneur. Yes. And there are different stages in entrepreneurship as you go. There's different levels of entrepreneurship that they have to mature to, just like a baby growing up to be an adult and eventually going out on their own. That's one piece of it. I think that the other thing is, is that there is this focus, and I talk a lot about this, uh, there's a focus on unicorns. But here's the fact of the matter. The United States was the leader in unicorns, okay? We did 113 unicorns. Now, and, and now, do you know how many people tried to be a unicorn? Hundreds of thousands, but basically 260 something thousand. So you have a better chance of being a rock star or a famous actor than you do of having a unicorn. It's the wrong thing to focus on. Yep. The money that I've made is on deals, right? So I average about two and a half million on a transaction unless uh, it's my startup. If it's my startup, then I make 10 to 25 million. And that's a good exit. Mm. Um, I had, you know, the big one, 925 million, but uh, that's like rare you know, the, the normal, the, the ones that you want to do are like the base hits, you know, the, the ones that you're just kind of you do these transactions and you consistently do them and it lowers your, your risk. When I studied why entrepreneurs fail, which is why investors fail, um, and I've been studying this for 12 years, I've done, you know, I don't know, a few thousand interviews and I've read hundreds and hundreds of articles and statistical reports, there is a huge portion of entrepreneurs, 90% of them that fail after five years. And most of them are those that go to try to become an, uh, a unicorn. Yep. Um, and that's because, you know, if you're trying to become a unicorn, you start with a valuation that's high, you raise capital against that valuation, you grow your business, your valuation is too high now. So you have to raise your valuation and that means you have to raise more capital, which means you have to raise your valuation and around in circles you go and you get into a situation where your business is overpriced. Yep. So I see these things all the time, right? Now the business is overpriced. And a lot of times it's because the entrepreneur and the investor both don't understand what the numbers actually mean. So for example, if you're raising money at a $5 million uh, dollar valuation. <clears throat> Sorry, I was doing the currency in my head there and I realized it's the same. It's a dollar. It's just a different, <laughs> different country's dollar. But if you're doing a $5 million valuation, you have to realize that at that point, the entrepreneur thinks it's, they're raising $5 million at a $5 million valuation. But what's actually happening is the investors want $25 million because investors want 2 to 5x on their, on their, uh, on their cash. So that means that even though you're raising at 5 million, you already have to sell for 25 million and you may be at your seed round. Yeah. So you really need to think about how you start that first valuation and ramp that valuation up over time as investors get confident. Okay. So it kind of looks like a bell curve. And you go from what I call pre-startup into startup and then from startup into scale and growth and those, that bell curve goes up. And as that bell curve goes up, all the entrepreneurs and the investors want to sell at the top of the bell curve. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is that the buyer actually, you know, your acquirer wants to buy it as low on the bell curve as they can, because that gives them the upside on the return. The problem is nobody knows where they are on the bell curve. Yep. So if 
you're climbing up the bell curve and you haven't started with the North Star and saying, I'm going to sell at this dollar amount from the beginning and raise cash at that valuation the whole time, you get yourself into big trouble and you end up passing up the opportunity that you should have been sold, that you should have sold for because you're raising and you're overvalued, you go out of business because nobody wants to put cash in anymore. Or you end up doing a recap or a cram down or something like that. None of those things are good for anybody. So that was one of the things I think is really important is understanding how you're valuing your company in the first place. Yes. Understanding that the entrepreneur has never ridden a horse before and this is their first time and they need help. Understanding those things and then making sure that the investors know they are not operators. Stay the hell out of the entrepreneur's hair. Uh, this happens so often where you see the investors start to get involved in the business and all they do is slow down the entrepreneur. Every hour that you're on the phone with that entrepreneur is an hour they're not working. And if they worked for you, would you be distracting them? No, you'd be letting them do their job. So these are the core things that I found when I did the studies that cause these entrepreneurs to fail and the investors to lose their money. Now, if they steer away those, those, uh, from those things, the success rate goes up dramatically. Yeah. I hope that's helpful. Of course it is, mate. Oh, that's absolutely. Because we have a lot of people who tune into the show and hear stories about people wanting to be an active angel as opposed to a passive angel. And yeah. I think you do possess the ability to be active without getting in the way, honestly. Yes. Um, yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, you, it's, it's okay if, 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 if your definition of active is to not try to be an operator, but allow them to run the business and motivate them and support them, then it's okay. If your definition of active is to try to help tell them how to run a business that they know better than you, probably not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I learned is that there are basically two types of entrepreneurs. Yes. There are entrepreneurs that are sales types and there are entrepreneurs that are engineer types. The entrepreneurs that are sales types, usually the product is underdeveloped and they're overselling you on whatever it is. And the engineer types, the product is overdeveloped and they're also overselling you on what it is. So if you understand the kind of entrepreneur you're dealing with, then you understand what sort of aid you can do for that entrepreneur in terms of being a good mentor for them. I love it, mate. Excellent. So I have to ask, um, you've played at all different ends of the spectrum. You've also played um, the different roles, founder, investor, mentor, advisor, uh, VC. How have you gotten better at sharpening the saw and becoming more and more efficient at getting to a yes or a no quicker? Because you no doubt with today's world, you'd be receiving overtures, pitch decks, founders reaching out, everyone would want you to be their advisor and sit on the board and strategic investor. How do you deliver that no in a positive manner and, you know, get to it quicker so that you don't get completely overwhelmed? I am. That's so crazy that you asked me that because I actually had a call with my partners today because I am, I am overwhelmed and I'm just learning to manage that. Um, I have, a, a, a desire inside of me to help every entrepreneur succeed. And I really want to help them. Uh, and I have a hard time saying no. Um, so I put a lot of energy into uh, taking what I do, which is uh, focused on BOSS, the business operating support system. And now we're rolling out a university 
um, to train entrepreneurs with what I do with my portfolio companies and also what I do uh, with my own businesses over time that I've learned over, you know, I put it together over, I guess, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And it's why I'm successful every time so far. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I've been putting, I do a lot of, a lot of effort putting out media and infographics and articles and things like that to try to help entrepreneurs to refer them somewhere. Um, and that's been helpful. Uh, but yeah, it's, I'm overwhelmed pretty every day, <laughs> you know, um, but it's a good problem to have. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that because in our circles, um, many people talk about deal flow. Many people talk about having an abundance of deal flow. Um, and obviously you've got a vehicle set up that allows you to really scrutinize and, and assess deal flow quickly and easily. Yeah. Um, Maybe what I'd love to ask you is a question for the founders listening. Uh, It's just one part of the process, but I always like to ask, in your experience, has there been something recently that a founder or a startup has done in their process of making the overture or reaching out that was incredibly unique and creative and succeeded at getting your attention amongst, you know, the ether of so many? I think here's one of the things. I think that, you know, out of the pitches I see, the majority of them don't start with the end in mind, meaning they don't have an exit strategy. Okay. And I find that to be uh, very, I, I can't understand, you know, so think about it this way. The, the business that acquires your business is buying your business because they want to sell that product that you make to their existing customers. So they've already absorbed the customer acquisition cost and the cap to LTV ratio is what they're after. So the only option they have is to raise the the lifetime value. And they raise the lifetime value by selling your product to their customers. Therefore, your whole business is a product to them. Most of the time when entrepreneurs start products, they don't understand who their investor worldview is, meaning five or six investors that they know would buy their business. And because they don't do that, they raise cash up uh, wrong and their go-to-market strategy is wrong and their ideal customer profile doesn't match the ideal customer profile of the acquirer. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it doesn't make sense for the acquirer to buy them mm-hmm. because the acquirer wants to buy something that their customers will buy. And now you have a product looking for a solution, a problem looking for a solution. And that is something that I, I, I hardly ever see. And the other day I had an entrepreneur that had an exit strategy. And I've had a lot of panel discussions and argue arguments with people and they go, well, you don't need an exit strategy when you start. And I'm like, do you build a product without having a customer? Mm-hmm. Nobody builds a product without having a customer. That's ridiculous, right? So why would you build a business without having an acquirer when you start and build the business to suit the acquirer? So that's one of the things that I saw. And then the other thing that I don't see very often is a real go-to-market strategy. And I don't mean a sales strategy. Everybody, I'm like, what's your go-to-market strategy? They have one slide that shows, you know, their Tam Samsung and what market they're going after and that they're going to go advertising Google or something. That's a sales strategy. That's not a go-to-market strategy. A real go-to-market strategy shows not just how you're going to acquire the customers, but how you're going to retain and service those customers. Mm-hmm. When you sell a business, you're looking, there are three value drivers that are core and four tag along. Growth, margin, retention, and then finally, your attachment rate. So growth means that you can sell to customers and 
Retention means that those customers continue to like your business. And margin says you can do it profitably at scale. But all of those are within ICP, inside of the ideal customer profile of the acquirer. And then the final thing is what they call attachment rate. So that means that if the acquirer of your business has, let's say, 25,000 customers, and you have 10 customers, but all 10 meet the same exact ICP as your acquirer, you don't need to work after big top line numbers. I sold a company in January that had less than $2 million in revenue for $48,750. Wow. And that's because you get a good marriage between what that acquirer wants and you build it for them. A bunch of different acquirers so that when they buy you, they see the value of what the the uh, collaboration or synergy of the two businesses together is not your business alone. Mm -hmm. And that is the trick to getting a high multiple. It's really, really important. Well, mate, you've mastered this. So I have to ask you, tell me about Meet the Boss. Tell me about your time with TEDx. (laughs) Tell me about this book and this this playbook because I'm so excited to learn how we can get our hands on it. Yeah, so the book comes out next year. Um, it's slowed down. You know, they didn't want to Forbes. It's published by Forbes. Wow. They didn't want to uh, do it until COVID got a little bit better because nobody's flying and a lot of the books are purchased in the airports and stuff. So, gotcha. um, yeah, so yeah, it comes out next year. It's really cool. It gives you step-by-step instructions on basically how to build and exit a company to investors at two to five X and for entrepreneurs in five years. Uh, three years from Series C, and it breaks down every level and gives entrepreneurs the playing field. And it's really good also for investors, because I think, you know, if you're going to invest in startups, you need to understand what you're investing in and where the checkpoints are. You know, you need to understand that most, most investors run their invest investments based on lagging indicators, meaning financials. But the things in the financials actually were started six months ago. So if you're running your business looking at financials or running your investments by looking at financials, it's like driving down the freeway looking at the rearview mirror, right? You're looking at what's behind you instead of what's in front of you. So you run the business looking at leading indicators, those things that cause the financials to pivot. And a lot of those things are the steps that's in the book, which would be very helpful. And, you know, if people go to my website, you can get a lot of stuff. Am I allowed to say my website? Go for it, please. <laughs> it's gregoryshepherd.com. So G-R-E-G-O-R-Y-S-H-E-P-A-R-D.com. And in there, there is everything that I learn, everything that I can possibly tell an entrepreneur is all in there. The book is basically made from what's in the website. Um and you can, you can go in there, there's a blog and there's so, so many articles and videos and all kinds of stuff. And if you go in there uh, and subscribe for the newsletter, you'll get templates and you'll be told when the book comes out and every time I do a, uh, some, something like this. So it's, it should be really helpful for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're fast running out of your time. So I just want everyone listening and, and watching on YouTube and Spotify and iTunes um, uh Rest assured, um, I'm going to ask him right now, can we please do a part two, uh, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> because um, we've simply run out of time. I've got time for a couple more questions, so I'm going to push on, but just everyone listening, we will do a part two so we can continue the story. Greg, I want to understand from you, 
um, what makes an Australian startup, an Australian founder, uh, investable for someone who is uh, typically investing in Northern America and has an abundance of deal flow and talent and opportunity at their disposal? You know, how does that Australian founder or startup really stand out to uh, compete for the attention and the investment of an angel in your market? So I would say that when I look at the, I look at deals from all over the world. So, you know, if anybody wants to submit a deal, you go to that website and that's where you submit a deal. But what I do is I specifically focus on things. There are underdeveloped areas in every country. So the deal that I did in January was a transit company. It was buses and paying for buses. And I have an, another deal that's got software for governments to do legislation. And so these are like the kind of things, right? These weird offset things that are industries that are left behind. So you see the hot stuff right now because of COVID, you see all the work from home and all the people trying to compete with Zoom and all the uh, education at home and all this kind of stuff out there. That stuff is surface noise. What, what we look for are areas that are underdeveloped that still need to be automated or modernized in any country in the world. And some countries have more of that than other countries. So those, those areas are the very, very, that's the areas that I look for. You know, so if something in Australia is underdeveloped and somebody found it and because they're in that world and then they have a way to solve that problem, that's the kind of stuff that, that everybody's looking for right now. There is, you know, everybody, if you go to Sand Hill Road, that's like the Vegas strip of venture capital in um, the Silicon Valley. Um, if, if you go there, um, you know, the number of, uh, of VC companies that are investing in, you know, seed uh, or not really seed, it's more like A, B, C round stuff. Those guys are not looking for another ad tech company or another social media company or something like that. That stuff is, you know, analytics big data, cryptocurrency. I mean, you see these things constantly. It's when you develop a business that's really solving a problem. So one of the things that I tell people is I say, the way I see investing is that you have two types of startups. You have startups that are solving a problem and you have startups that are taking advantage of an opportunity. Those that are solving a problem are saving money for the, for the customers and for the acquirer. Those businesses are bear market businesses. And we're in a bear market right now. So the reason why is because the opportunity businesses are businesses that are trying to make money. And that's a bull market opportunity because when in a bull market, the money's flowing. People are spending money to make money. People are spending money. But in a bear market, people are recoiling. So you can't make money where people aren't spending money. So you have to you have to make sure that you're doing a problem saving money bear market deal in this market. <clears throat> and before when we had a bull market, then you go after the opportunity make money type deals. Now, if you have an opportunity make money type deal, change your narrative so it looks like you're solving a problem. Mm -hmm. And make sure that you're going after solving a problem because investors look at a a, a bull market and they're like, okay, money's flowing. How can we get more of that money? And when investors are looking at a bear market, they're like, okay, how do I, how am I safe? Saving money. 
And that's how it all works. So you have to start out by looking at the world that way. And you look at deals that way that are appropriate for those economic market conditions. Absolute gold. We are raining truth bombs here, Greg Shepherd. Um, I've really run out of your precious time, but let's let's do part two. For everyone listening and watching, I'm going to set that up with him offline now. But as far as parts one's concerned, this has just been absolutely overwhelmingly awesome. Uh, Greg Shepherd, founder and CEO of Boss Capital Partners, serial entrepreneur, angel investor, Forbes author, and keynote speaker. Hit me up one more time with that key URL and website that people can find out more before we wrap up part one today. It's gregoryshepherd.com. And that's S-H-E-P-A-R-D. Yes. Love it. There we go. I've covered all bases. <laughs> well, Greg, uh, thanks for giving us your precious time uh, uh, more than anything. And I can't wait to do it all again. Uh, hopefully we can tee this up next week and um, keep the conversation going. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And that's all we have time for today on the Angel Investors Access Show, your series with Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. If you're thinking about becoming an angel investor and you don't know where to start, then you know exactly where to head, c2angels.com, and book your angel investment opportunity discovery session now. Until next time, I'm Brandon Burns, and I'll catch you later.